mentioned a few times now, um, we're wrapping up uh, this series on love and marriage today. And uh, just kind of an FYI that if for some reason um, you weren't able to be here for all the messages and want to kind of catch up, we're not going to have a chance to sort of do a summary today time-wise. But um, just so you know or are reminded that all of our messages in this series, and really for the last two and a half years, are on our website, and there's group questions that you can download on there, and also the sermon outline, so please feel free to download, put it on your, your MP3 player or iPod, and, and, uh, and listen away. Um, but as we close today, um, we are going to uh, take time to look at what God's Word says about a topic that I guess can seem a little bit awkward, you know, initially to discuss, uh, especially in public, and, and that's the topic of sex and sexuality. And, uh, you know, it's always been awkward, right? Uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when... Uh, when it was time for my dad to have the talk, um, I was wondering, you know, a little bit if he was feeling more awkward or I was feeling more awkward as, you know, the lack of eye contact and, and you know, all of that that goes along with it. Um, it can be awkward to talk about. We use uh, weird phrases that I, honestly, I'm probably missing something and sometimes I'm kind of naive, but I don't even always know what it means, like the birds and the bees, and, you know, we weir- use word fra- weird phrases to describe things because we don't want to talk about it because it's, it's awkward. Well, just so that you can all breathe and put you at ease, that awkward conversation that your parents may have had or may not have had with you is not the talk that we're going to have today. So oftentimes, uh, our parents will talk to us about a couple things. It's usually the what of sex, and then the, and all of that, wait until marriage. And that's a good thing, and that, we're going to get back to that in a little bit. But what, what I want to talk about today, because this is what God's Word talks to us about, is something that a lot of times our parents didn't talk to us about, either because they didn't think of it, or maybe they just didn't know how to say it. What I want to talk about is the why. We know the what and the what not, but what about the why? Why is this the case? And I hope that whether you're single or married today, that when we're done, you'll have a better appreciation for God's design for this one aspect of the marriage relationship. Now, before we finally get, it, before we get into this topic, one last thing. If you are a child, a young person here, and you're not exactly sure what the word sex means, you might have some thoughts, but you, you're not exactly sure what it means, I just want you to know that's okay. <laughs> you don't need to know right now. And in fact, when your parents think that it's important and you're, you're old enough to understand, they'll, they'll talk to you about it. But for today, don't worry about it. You don't need to know. All right. Now, this is a message that I guess in a section of scripture that as I look back on my uh, ministry here over a decade, as I studied it this week and and leading up to this week, I really kind of felt like I have disappointed this congregation in some ways by not having had a sermon like this before. To have been here for 10 years and not really have, I mean, little things here and there may be an application, but not just hitting this topic head on. And the reason why I felt a little bit like, you know, disappointed in myself is because 
The truth is, is while you've never had a sermon here about this topic, we have and hear sermons every single day in culture, 24 hours a day, there's sermons and messages being preached to us on this. Every TV show you watch, there's a sermon. The way that they use sex to get to know each other a little bit, or maybe they don't even know each other. (laughs) Every movie we watch, even lots of G-rated movies, have little inferences to relationships and sexuality that we, I would say, is not in line with God's word. Um, The internet, every time you go on there, there is a chance that you'll be confronted with sex and sexuality. And it doesn't, it's not just going to a site that you shouldn't go to. <laughs> it's ads that pop up or ads that are on the, long, the side of, of Facebook or some other website. Um, it's, it's in the posts that people put, uh, friends or even people you don't know. It's in Instagram. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's in the magazines we read and the ones we just walk by in the grocery line. It's in the books that... We probably shouldn't be reading Fifty Shades of Grey um, and other books. (laughs) It's in the people we talk to at school, young people, and the things that they say or think about topics like this. It's in the people we interact with at work, and not just in the things they say, but maybe in some of the decisions that they've made in their relationships or in their life. The point is, you know this better than I do probably, that there, is, there are sermons being preached to you every single day. <laughs> it took us 11 years, at least of me being here, for us to have one that you can believe, one that you can count on as being accurate and true. The, the basic message, there's a lot of ways to summarize it, but for memory's sake, I, the basic way that I would say that culture preaches about sex is this first fill-in, that at the, at the root, that sex is just a physical thing. It's, it's only physical. And, and so then um, it's just a part of a dating relationship. It's getting to know someone, you know, is this someone I might want to marry? Uh, and so in that respect, it's, um, it's part of that relationship. It, it may not even be that, that far into a relationship and, and sex comes into play. And in fact, um, sex is so much a part of the, the culture that if you're single, it can be hard to find a date or to have a lasting relationship if this is something that you're not going to allow to be a part of the relationship. It can be, it can be very difficult. And all of those reasons is why a sermon like this is so important. And so to talk about it from a biblical God perspective, we're going to turn to a section of the Bible where a pastor named Paul wrote to a group of Christians in a uh, city called Corinth. Now, I can't think of a culture that would have been more similar to American culture in the area of sexuality than Corinth. Um, This city in Greece was known as uh, kind of like Sin City, you know, like Las Vegas of the day. In fact, uh, 
for the Greek scholars among us, uh, which I might be the only one, um, there was a Greek word that got sort of invented. It was in English, the word to Corinthianize, which actually at its root was a reference to sexual immorality. That's how much sexual culture being only physical and, and, and Corinth were linked. This is the environment that these Christians lived in. Do you know that uh, in America right now, the marriage rate, the percentage of adults getting married is at an all-time low? You know why that is? It's probably not hard to guess. It's because Essentially, why get married when you can have all of the benefits of marriage without the commitment? It's a lot easier that way. And so people are opting not to get married. Do you know it was exactly the same thing in the Roman Empire, which Corinth was a part of? That marriage rates were plummeting because of this type of message that was being believed and and accepted that sex is only physical? Think Paul might have something to say on this that would apply to our culture today? Absolutely, he does. And so we're going to look at a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And um, we begin with verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Now, I'm just going to, as you can see, pause here for a second. And um, I want to confirm what maybe your parents told you that there are parameters around God's gift of sex. And that there is a way to use sexuality that is God-ordained, and there is a way that is wrong. And, it, and the way that is wrong, we, we might use the phrase, Paul does, sexual immorality. I have a definition for sexual immorality uh, that's biblically based. I wrote it out on your um, sermon notes. In a very easy way, sexual immorality would be any sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant. So, of course, that means sex outside of marriage, but as you know, there's a lot of things that fall short of sex but still would be sexual activity. Any of those things outside of the marriage covenant is sexual immorality. And so I just, I just really want to be really clear here as to what God says, and then you can chew on that, digest it, think about it. But if a person is, is sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend, that's sexual immorality. That's what God says. And someone might ask, but what if I really love them? If it's not in the marriage covenant, God says it's sexual immorality. But what if we're really committed to each other? I mean, I'm not sleeping around. It's just one person. We're in a committed relationship. If it's not a part of the marriage covenant, it's sexual immorality. But what if we are going to get married? We're engaged. We're kind of committed. Yeah, the key word is kind of. (laughs) If it's not a part of the marriage covenant, God says that it's sexual immorality. God says what many of our Christian parents might have told us. And and I know that it is so easy to kind of push back on this a little bit. And the reason is, is because you get a lot more sermons from culture than you get from your parents or God or from the church. And so the sermons of culture are louder, and we begin to even to question, well, I mean, 
It's not like I'm, again, sleeping around. It's just one person. It's just we're committed. We're going to get married. And what could be wrong with that? You know what's wrong with it? (laughs) It's sexual immorality. God says this is for one area of life, and that is two people in the marriage covenant. Uh, Culturally, the two things that are prerequisites for this to be okay, culturally, is that you're an adult and that you're consenting. And if you're a consenting adult, then anything's okay, culturally. Biblically, that is not true. Biblically, it's something that's a part of the marriage covenant. Now, that's the what, but what about the why? What's God trying to protect here? What's God doing here? Why would God put these rules around it? Do you know that statistically, most of the people that are the most sexually promiscuous tend to have a very low feeling of self-worth and self-value. They have a low self-esteem. You know that? It's not in the Bible. That's just fact. Like the Bible is fact, but this this is secular fact. And so what happens is that people give themselves in this this special way, whether it be sex or things that lead up to sex, because they're looking for acceptance. They're looking to feel valued. They're looking for self-esteem. Now, if, if you know someone who's tried that, or if you're someone who's tried that, and you're old enough to look back on it, you'll be able to say that that never works. That yes, it might make you feel a little bit important for a short time frame, for a season of life, but eventually that wears off. And so Paul is just acknowledging this through God's inspiration of where, my friends, we should find our value and self-worth. And it can't be from your boyfriend. It can't be from your girlfriend. It can't be from your husband. It shouldn't be from your wife. Our ultimate value and self-worth is found somewhere else. Um, Next verse. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is meant for your body. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. By God's power, he raised Jesus from the dead. And get this, through faith, he's going to raise you as well. That's pretty cool. That God cares enough about me that he's going to take the time to raise my decayed body on the last day to be perfect and to live with him forever. Do you not know? And he says it that way because they did not know. (laughs) Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That your physical body is a member of Christ? That you are a member of Christ? Um, Young girls who maybe are here and not old enough yet to have gotten married Um, I want you to know that you are precious. And I want you to know that you will never be able to find value or self-worth in the guy you date or the man you someday marry. But there's only one place that you can find that. It's in a relationship with Jesus. That that's the only place where self-worth and value can remain. And the married women among you will acknowledge that, I'm sure. 
And young boys, those young enough not to have been married yet, I I want you to know that you're not going to ever feel good about yourself based on what you do or your sports achievements or making the, the A team instead of the C team or whatever it is. Even the, the beautiful girl on your arm at the homecoming dance, that's kind of cool. Something to brag about. Yeah, I got to go with her, right? But it's not going to make you feel a continued feeling of self-worth and value. It'll fade. There's only one place that that can come from. And Paul says it's recognizing that you're a member of Christ. And how does that happen? Because Jesus loved you enough to die for you. He loved you enough that he did not just die for the world in a general sense. He, God, who can think about all things at the same time, which I don't get, thought about you. He died for you. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. You've been purchased by Christ's blood. Do you understand, everyone here, how amazing you are? Do you understand how precious you are? Speaking of precious, I decided to have a couple illustrations uh, during this message just so that we can have like a little pause a little bit, right? Um, So speaking of precious, uh, when I was uh, uh, a kid in the mid-80s, my favorite basketball player, I've shared this before, is the same favorite basketball player like every boy in America had at that time, uh, Michael Jordan. And uh, not only did I like Michael Jordan, but I also liked collecting baseball cards and and basketball cards. And so the card that I wanted more than any other, I probably coveted it, which was a sin, was the uh, Michael Jordan rookie card that came out like 86 or 87, something like that. And uh, that card, when it came out, was worth about $1,000, at least a year or two later it was. And nowadays, I just Googled it quick, uh, anywhere between one to even $20,000, depending on the condition for that, that one card. Well, as a kid, well, as an adult, too, there's no way I could ever afford a Michael Jordan rookie card. And, uh, but what I could afford, this was like a couple years after it came out, an unopened pack from that year. So I basically got all my money together, bought one pack, and prayed, okay, I don't know if God, he probably doesn't care about this stuff, but I still prayed, dear Lord, let there be a Michael Jordan rookie card in here, and uh, I bought that pack, and it was like, it was like uh, in Willy Wonka, you know, they're opening, looking for the golden ticket, and opening the, the package slowly, looking at each card, literally, this is very true, very slowly, each one, please be in here, please be in here. And I'm not kidding you at all. It was in there. The Michael Jordan rookie card. And ever since then, my prayer life has taken off because God answers prayer. Uh, That's not the point of this illustration. But um, it was in there. And if you know anything about cards, um, you want to protect them because that's how they hold their value. No dings, no scuffs, nothing on them. So as soon as I got that card, I put it in a holder to protect it right away at that very moment so that it would hold its value because, well, it was valuable to me and it's just valuable in general. So I brought the card, I brought the card along with me today. Is anyone else, uh, was anyone else grow up as a Michael Jordan fan? Anyone? I know there's a few of us. All right, Danny. Um, you too, DC? 
Kind of, yeah. That's good. That's awesome. So have you ever had a chance to hold a Jordan rookie card? Okay. Well, I'll let you do that. And in fact, I'm just going to, don't, don't let it get dung, okay? I'm just going to toss it to you. Oh. And in fact, if you want, um, you can uh, pass it down. Let, let everyone touch it. If they drop it, not a big deal. Um, <laughs> would, would anyone do that with a Michael Jordan rookie card? Yeah, and yeah, your pastor wouldn't either. Here's the real one. <laughs> that was just uh, card stock, and our printer color, uh, prints in color, so it looked like the card. But this is the real one. Now, I'm going to get real serious here in just like a quick second, so be ready. You would never do that with a Jordan card. But so many people do that with their sexuality. You are precious. Your bodies are precious. You are precious. You were bought by Jesus Christ and his blood. And yet, in the area of sex and sexuality, culture teaches us, well, it doesn't matter who handles us. The more, the better. The more, the more fun. (laughs) No. No. If we really value ourselves, it comes back to self-esteem, if we really value ourselves, then we'll value ourselves in the way we make decisions in that area of life too. Do you see that how you view sex is a reflective of how you view yourself? It's also reflective of how you view God. Because God's the author of it. God's the designer of it. God's the one who said, here are the parameters. And so it's it's reflective how you view God as well. And the question is, who are we going to (laughs) worship in our dating lives or in our married lives? Are we going to worship God or self? God or sex? God or fun? So to speak. (laughs) Here's our second fill-in. This is where it's been pausing up, Dean. The way I treat sex is a reflection of who I worship. And if you're someone who's new to the Bible, new to God, new to this teaching, you know, I understand why you might have made some, uh, what in retrospect might be bad decisions. Maybe you didn't know what God's plan was. But we need to understand that because God designed sex and sexuality, it is a reflection of who we worship. Again, whether that be God or ourself. One other why we need to touch on, and uh, it comes out in the next part of these verses. So Paul continues then to these Corinthians. Shall I then take the members of Christ, that is the Christians, and unite them with a prostitute? That's, that's kind of a weird phrase. Um, You've got to understand, the Corinthians knew right away what Paul was getting at because there was a pagan temple in Corinth and in other places too. And the way that you worship this pagan god was to go to the temple and have sex with a prostitute. That was their way of worshiping. And so what Paul is saying is, should I then as a Christian, should I unite with a prostitute at the temple? (laughs) Never. And here's why. Don't you know that the person who unites himself with a prostitute 
is one with her in body? For it's said, when God created marriage, that the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. See, culture says that sex is only physical, and once the act is over, it's over. God says something that you already know if you've had sex, that it's not just physical. You know that when that happens, there's a oneness going on. There's a uniting going on. That's what, what God says, and, and, and you become one with that person. Here's, here's another way to think about it. See those, uh, see those hooks in between the uh, square windows there? They're not nailed or screwed in there. Um, it's a 3M product, so there's a, um, a sticky thing on the back, and that allows us to not have to repair holes and things like that. But what I have found is that while it's a great product, some of us here work at 3M, not saying anything bad about it, but sometimes when you try to take the sticky stuff off, it doesn't always work the way it was designed, and it'll take some of the drywall off with it. The drywall stuck to the hook, unable to get it apart. That's what happens when two people have sex. That there is a part of you that goes with that person forever. There's a part of that person that is with you forever, and it affects things. Some of you maybe know this from personal experience. It affects things. Um, Why is it that some of the the hardest things for people to ever get over is if they were abused sexually as a child. Harder than physical abuse, harder than anything else, because this is true. Why is it sometimes that those who are the most sexually promiscuous in their dating years have the hardest time with feeling loved, giving love, feeling romance, being romantic. It's because what God says here, we know as being true in fact. That there's a part of you that is uniting, even if it's someone that you're not married with and, and, and lasts far beyond the physical act. Our next fill in the blank. The way I treat sex can have an effect on my future. And uh, I guess... In retrospect, I probably should have put will there. I wasn't thinking uh, as much as I should have there, but this is true too. The way I treat sex can have an effect on my future. So with all that in mind, and the whys behind the what, if you were God and you were the one who designed marriage and sex, what would you say about sex outside of the marriage covenant? What direction would you give? It's only physical. No, you wouldn't say that. Might you say what God said himself and Paul records for us in the next verse? (laughs) Flee! (laughs) And I love this word because it's not just don't do it. It's like get out of there. Get away. Get away from tempting situations. Flee. It's like There's sexual temptation, and I'm like running, you know? I'm getting away. (laughs) Whether you're single or whether you're married, flee from it. And then 
Paul references what we just talked about a moment ago. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But there's something different about sexual sin. He who sins, or she, sins sexually, sins against their own body. I said I was going to use some illustrations. I got one more for you, okay? Um, So I went to the, uh, or I got some firewood here behind the wall, And for those of you who know me, know that I'm not like the uh, greatest outdoorsman or anything like that, so I don't think I own an axe, so you can know that I did not chop this. Where do uh, suburbanite men get their firewood? Quick trip. So that's where where I bought a bundle of firewood for uh, $5, and uh, what if... I got all this wood together, went and got some lighter fluid, drenched it, and took this uh, candle here and started a fire right here in the middle of the sanctuary, right here on this semi-wooden stage here. (laughs) It's not real wood. Um, Not a good thing, right? Now, it might get us into our new building quicker because we would need one really quickly, so maybe that's not a bad idea, actually. But no, I would, I would ne- we would never do this, right? Now, is, is the problem fire? Is fire bad? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, honestly, there, there never has been a good camping trip that did not have a campfire. Like, you just cannot convince me. Any good camping trip has to have a campfire. Fi- a campfire is awesome. Um, and there's something, uh, nothing better than, than on a cold winter night, um, I'm suburban, turning on <laughs> the, the fireplace or starting a fire, right? <laughs> nothing better. Fire has the ability to warm your home. It also has the ability to burn your house down. And you know what the difference is? It's where the fire is set and what the parameters are around it. Is, there a, is it set in the middle of a sanctuary, the fire, or is it in a fire pit, in the right place, at the right time? I grew up kind of thinking that sex is bad. That's what I heard mostly, Right? It's not. God gave it. God designed it. It didn't just happen. God designed it for marriage. It's good. But what's bad is when the fire is set in the wrong place with the wrong people in the wrong environment, the wrong relationship. And then it's got destructive power as opposed to being a blessing. And so when God looked at this gift he gave, he said the best place for it, the only place for it, is two people who have covenanted themselves, promised to each other in the, to be faithful to each other in the realm of marriage. That's our last fill-in. Sex is a blessing. It is. In marriage, sex is a blessing. In marriage. Now, 
Talk about like throwing a bomb in the middle of a room, right? A sermon like this has that potential. And honestly, it hits a lot of different people this weekend in a lot of different ways. And some people are confronted with scripture like this and there's a great deal of regret and a great deal of guilt about past decisions or decisions that you're in right now. Um, Other people are like, yeah, Ben, you should have had this message 11 years ago. It would have saved me some hardship. Uh, Some of us maybe are thinking, you know, it's just a confirmation of how I've tried to go about my dating life or had gone about my dating life, and it's just reaffirmation that the decision I made was the the right one to stay abstinent until marriage. (laughs) Dads with daughters are like, can we have a sermon like this every week, you know? (laughs) I want all the boys to hear this. (laughs) The truth is that every single person who's heard this message this weekend, including me, have sinned in one way or another in this area with the things we've thought, with the things we've seen or watched or looked at, and the list could go on. And so whether you feel like you're pulling a trailer filled with guilt around this area, or maybe it's smaller than that, we all should have some, (laughs) but we don't need to take it with us. That you are precious and that Jesus Christ has paid for all of our sins. The area of sexuality is not the unforgivable sin. There is none. That through faith in Jesus, we've been purchased, as we saw. Our our last verses here says, you were bought at a price. You don't need to carry around the trailer. There might be consequences that you're dealing with right now in your, your current relationships, but you don't need to feel guilty. That does not need to be one of them. Christ has paid for all of our sins, including these. But I I can't stop there. I will stop soon, but I can't stop there. The thing is that if you are a child of God, children of God will want to act like children of God. Children of God will want to make decisions that are in line with being a child of God also in the area of sexuality. As much as the the culture preaches sermons, children of God will want to act differently. And so I did a a bunch of reading and and listening to some talks before this message, and there is uh, three applications that I want to share with you on, and where do we go from here? Two of them are for singles, and one of them is uh, for marrieds among us. The first one, if you're single... Um, For all the reasons we talked about today, um, I'm just saying, if you're a child of God, you need to make a decision from this day forward that you're going to save the blessing of sex only for the marriage environment. I don't care if you're engaged. I don't care if you're committed. It doesn't matter. You need to keep it for the marriage relationship, and God will bless you. If you do, your relationship with God will be better, your relationship with your spouse someday, because the person you're with right now may not be that person. Your spouse someday will be better, that relationship. Your parenting will be better. You know why? Because you can tell your kids that mom or dad didn't just speak this truth. They, they lived it, 
Or are they recommitted? If you've already maybe made some decisions that you regret, recommitted to live it, you can share that with your parents, your, your kids someday. Another one for single people that will help you with this. God said, flee. I wish I would have done this. I, didn't, I did it subconsciously. I wish I would have done this very deliberately. For those of you who are single, you need to think today about what it means to flee sexual temptation. And you need to draw some lines in the sand. You need to set some limits about things that you're not going to do, short of sex even, of places you're not going to go. I I tell you, I always cringe when I read or hear about two unmarried people going on vacation all by themselves for like a week. It's like, talk about not fleeing, right? You need to decide what are the the limits. And and like I said, in one of the books I read, the author put it this way, where should you set the line? Well, here's one way to think about it that I thought was really insightful. You set it where you'd want the person you someday marry to have set it. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Finally, married people. Um, I've got something for you too. Um, just because you're uh, married doesn't mean that sexual uh, temptation does not come your way. And so you, as a married person, need to guard your marriage covenant in that area. You need to, first of all, thank God for the blessing of it, but then also set, make some safeguards. Um, like what? Certain things that you won't look at, um, certain movies you won't watch. Um, here's one that I think is important, and I've, I've done this uh, for the last number of years. Uh, I don't know if you, I don't think you should ever have lunch with someone of the opposite sex, just the two of you. I just don't think it's good. Nothing good can come from it. Invite someone else with you. And even if there's no intention, for me, it's a safeguard. Invite someone else. Again, it doesn't matter whether you had intentions or not. Set some limits for yourself. Set some safeguards. Um, hopefully that wasn't uh, too awkward today. And, and even if it was, I guess... Um, I don't care. (laughs) The reason is, is that culture preaches sermons to us every single day. The sermon that matters the most is the one that the designer, the gifter, gave us. That's from God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that was just as applicable 2,000 years ago as it is today. We thank you for that direction. And and Lord, there's a lot of different feelings and emotions that there might be going on right now. Um, And and Lord, um, we just ask you to, um, those who are feeling guilty, to just cover them with your your love and forgiveness. For those who feel overwhelmed, to to give them um, strength to to live as a child of God. For those who are married, um, to recognize what a what a blessing that uh, part of marriage is and to, to do whatever it takes to safeguard that. Lord, we, 
We pray all this in Jesus' name and, and thank you for first loving us. And we also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.